Ninety four point three WRHD HD1 Farmville Greenville. Your exclusive pirate sports station. Ninety point three the game. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 943thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to this Monday edition of Voice the Colors on 94.3 The Game, Monday, May 15th. ECU baseball coming off a sweep. We will get to that, of course, on this program. Philip Pilkerton going to join me shortly. Of course, we're live on Facebook, live on YouTube, as always. So drop your comments, questions, anything you got for us there. We'll get to them throughout this next hour. Really excited for today's show because we're going to be welcoming in one of the all-time great Pirate coaches, Steve Logan. He's going to join us around 12.15 via the phone. We'll talk to him, go down memory lane, get his take on the current state of college football, the current state of Pirate athletics. Of course, we'll talk football with him as he coached at ECU from 1992 as a head coach until 2002, of course, was the offensive coordinator during the Peach Bowl year as well. So looking forward to having Coach Logan on here in a little bit, and that's going to be a very fun conversation, and we'll see how many questions we can get to. Of course, Coach is always a little, can can be a little long-winded with some of the stuff, but it'll be fun. We'll have him on, and hopefully the first of many conversations with Coach Logan. All right, we're going to start, though, by talking some baseball. East Carolina with a much-needed sweep. Philip Pilkington is in the Interbanks Media Studio, and Philip, we said going into the weekend that the Pirates really had to sweep to stick in the conference championship race. They do that. They sweep Memphis. Unfortunately, Tulane offers little to zero help against Houston as Houston sweeps Tulane. Uh, Tulane pitching could, just could not get enough outs. They had their opportunities. But at the end of the day, ECU sweeps, Houston sweeps. Pirates still remain a half game out of first place in the conference despite a seven-game winning streak overall with just one regular season series remaining. Of course, Houston will take on Cincinnati this weekend. ECU goes to USF. But the Pirates did everything they needed to do. They did. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is you can only control what you can control. And, obviously, that Saturday game, I think, was the one that we most felt like Tulane was in. But, unfortunately, they were not. But the Pirates really did have the best weekend they've had in a long time. You you and I talked about how important it was going to be to hit the ball, especially early uh, with how streaky this team is hitting. And uh, they did that, and they hit the long ball. So much power I've seen out of the Pirates all year. Nine home runs on the weekend, I think, really set the tone. They set the tone early on Friday by putting up, I believe, was it six runs in the first inning? On Friday? Yeah, yeah, without even an out. Without an out, yeah, that was special. And then obviously they get their best pitcher on um, Saturday and uh, unfortunately didn't do a lot of damage against him. Uh, Fowler, right? I believe that was their Saturday guy. Yep. Yeah, but the ECU pitching staff held it down. And then uh, once they knocked Fowler out of the game, they went back to their ways of being able to hit the ball and hit it with power. We've seen it all year long, Philip, this team – when they get into opposing teams' bullpens, and maybe it's just because the American Athletic Conference is such a bad bullpen <laughs> league and there's no real pitching depth, but if ECU can execute his game plan, get the starter out, they just feast on, on the team's bullpen. Really, they feast on bad pitching, and you know most teams do. If you have a good offense, you're going to crush your bad pitching, but 
I thought the approach uh, versus Fowler, you know, it, it took a few times through the lineup. But look, listen, when the guy's throwing 94, 95, you know, with a, a good slider and he's a lefty and you're a lefty-heavy lineup, it's not an easy matchup. So they did what they need to do because I looked at the series as, all right, the Saturday game is the pivotal game because we, we said it, ECU has to sweep. And, e, and Memphis has really two good pitchers. You look at their staff. They have Fowler and they got Dalton Kendrick, a good lefty closer. And I was worried they would kind of, put those two guys together and just find a way to get through Saturday with a win and then turn hurting ECU's conference standing, RPI, et cetera. But give ECU credit. They, they found a way to scratch off a run. Josh Moreland's home run, home run was big. We saw Carter Cunningham have a, a tremendous weekend, even with his uh, subpar walk-up song choice, which we can talk about later <laughs> in the show. But um, I, I think it's just this team, we, we said it last week, they're finding different ways to win. Character-building wins like ODU and Cincinnati just give you so much momentum. And, you know, another huge one coming up Tuesday, which we'll talk about here shortly, but you can't deny the fact that this team, for whatever reason, seems to play its best ball in May under Cliff Gowan. They do. And, you know, we've we've sat here and we're, you know, kind of honing in on the hitting of the baseball. But, you know, speaking of that Saturday game, I think the reason that we did not lose that game, and you know, you can talk about the hitting, you can talk about the home run from Josh Moylan, but it was just the phenomenal job the Pirate pitching staff did on Saturday, um, really starting there with Trey Savage, and then obviously Carter Spivey comes in and throws three and two-thirds innings, and that was just huge because you know the Pirates, until the seventh inning, did only have one run, but I think they trusted uh, whoever was on the mound, and the defense played well. And it allowed us to score those nine runs there in those last two innings just because of the energy, I think, that was being brought by the pitching staff. So ECU with the win, they're up to 19 in the RPI. We kind of said it was a hold steady weekend in terms of the Pirates weren't going to – they weren't going to gain ground by by sweeping Memphis. But you had to sweep Memphis to hold steady and, and hopefully some teams kind of jockeyed around you. You saw like UConn fall. You saw Campbell fall. And so you had some changes around you, and if you look at the numbers in depth, really there's not a lot of separation uh, with the the formula between like 15 and 22. So still a lot of wiggle room there. A win over Campbell Tuesday could go a long way. Any win or loss at this point is going to move you up or down, uh, specifically in ECU's case. But looking at the conference standings, we talked about last week, Philip ECU 15 and six in the league, Houston 15 and five, and. I've seen some people say, well, if Houston would have had that game canceled, maybe they lost against Wichita State, and therefore both teams would be 15-6. and six. But even still, ECU would not have the tiebreaker because Houston took two out of three. So I feel like uh, ECU, we said it, they probably needed to win all six to, to have a shot to win the championship just because Houston's playing such good ball right now. And going to South Florida, which is the last-place team in the league, but still a tough place to play, uh, you know, tied for last with Tulane at this point. Uh, down in Tampa, but I feel like they got to sweep this series, and we can talk more about Campbell later. But you know, looking at the conference championship race, it's going to have to probably be another sweep if you want to to win the league because Houston's probably not going to lose two out of three at home to to Cincinnati. And you wonder too, and I know this is maybe going slightly off topic, but would the committee say if you're not good enough to win your conference a one bid league in the regular season, that's enough for us to not let you host? And I think that. They possibly could. Therefore, I think it's a must-win of the conference regular season as well as the tournament for East Carolina. And unfortunately, as you kind of brought it up there, um, 
We've got to put a lot of faith in Cincinnati this weekend. It's not really the baseball team you want to be putting faith in. I guess you don't want to put your faith in any baseball team from Cincinnati. The Reds are bad. The Bearcats are bad. Maybe they just don't play good baseball in Ohio. I don't know. It's a real struggle up there these days right now, at least. And uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, I think the only way ECU could overcome that is, let's say they win out and you go into, I mean, if you go into the postseason, which would be the conference tournament season, with an 11-game win streak, which is what it would be if they win these four games. And let's just say Houston doesn't drop a game. And if you finish a half game out of the lead and then you still go win the conference tournament, and at that point, you know, whether you win win out or not, I mean, you're looking at winning, what, 15 in a row or 15 of 16. If you do that and you win the conference tournament, I think that overcomes maybe not being a, a regular season conference championship champion team because then you're proving, hey, we're playing our best ball. We had injuries during that tough stretch maybe – Getting back to full health or close to it shows the committee you're playing your best baseball. We saw them really value that last year, and you know when ECU got a top eight seed. So I, I think it's certainly critical. You certainly would love to have that regular season title, but I, I, I just think there's there's other ways to overcome it. The problem is, as we've discussed, there's not a lot of margin for error, and you know I think it really too starts with the Tuesday game against Campbell. There, there's just a lot to juggle right now for ECU which is why they're not projected as a host because essentially they got to play, you know, almost clean baseball the rest of the way to put themselves back in that consideration. But you have a chance to get another top 25 caliber win, another good win on your resume. You don't really want to get swept by Campbell during the regular season. So we'll have more on the Campbell game, of course, leading into first pitch, 6 o'clock Tuesday on 94.3 the game. But uh, this is a big one, Philip, heading into Tuesday, your last midweek game, your last guaranteed home game of the season. Yeah, and I think, you know, Coach Godwin really did do a good job scheduling some tough out-of-conference opponents. The unfortunate thing for East Carolina this year has been State's not ranked. They've been abysmal by their standards. Carolina's not been quite as good as they want, so that is the one thing kind of missing from the Pirates' resume right now is a win over a top 25 opponent, and you've got that opportunity tomorrow as number 14 based off the new D1 baseball rankings. Number 14, Campbell, comes into town. All right, let's get into uh, our, our guest segment here on the other side. We're going to have Steve Logan, former East Carolina head coach, join us. Great baseball talk there with Philip, and we'll have that to close the show as well. But we're going to try and save as much time as possible for Coach Logan. Uh, also, just to give you guys a heads up, later in the week, uh, we're going to have quite the lineup this week. We'll have Mike Schwartz, the head men's basketball coach, join us in studio tomorrow. Then we'll have the head women's coach, Kim McNeil, Join us on Wednesday. Thursday, we'll have Hank Hinton, of course, of Interbanks Media, but also who helps to organize and run Team Boneyard. He'll be in studio with a Team Boneyard update. So we got a heck of a week for you on Hoist the Colors, and it should be a lot of fun starting with Coach Logan on the next segment. All right, we'll get into that on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. We talked East Carolina baseball in our opening segment, discussed where the Pirates stand in the national hosting picture, all that, the conference championship race and more. We'll get into that discussion later. But first, we're going to talk some Pirate football and do it with a very special guest he is Steve Logan, former East Carolina coach from 1992 to 2002, of course, former OC as well during the Peach Bowl year. Coach Logan, it's been a while since Pirate Nation has heard from you, so update us on, on how, how things are going with the Logan family and yourself these days. 
Well, things are going really good, and uh, you know, I do a lot of grandkids and baseball, so my life really hasn't changed much. It's uh, you know, my two sons played there at Rose High and went through the baseball machine there, and my youngest son is now a head baseball coach down in South Raleigh at a 4A school and has had a really, really good three-year run. And so, you know, I spend March and April in Raleigh uh, watching a lot of baseball. And then uh, after that, I run and hide down here at the beach, which is where I am now. So that's kind of the routine. Living life on the beat, not a bad, bad spot to be at all. Well, Coach, obviously you had time in the NFL with the Buccaneers, 49ers, and even uh, the Birmingham Iron most recently at a professional level. But I guess you haven't been directly involved with the college game since Boston College in 2008. So before we get into kind of your time at ECU and maybe even your thoughts on the program currently, what, what do you make of college football these days? Do you do you still enjoy watching it, following it? And I know a lot has changed, but what do you, what do you kind of make of the game, the transfer portal, all this stuff? Well, you know, there have been two giant, giant changes in college football. Uh, the first was night eight when the BCS was formed. It effectively created a first-class, second-class um dynamic for all the Division I schools, and uh, that's just a matter of fact. I recognized it immediately when it happened, uh, and, and it was detrimental to East Carolina, as we all know now. Uh, it wasn't recognized by the leadership at the time at East Carolina. They, they didn't know what had happened. I knew what had happened because of what I was experiencing on the recruiting trail. I was no longer able to get into the same homes uh, that we could have before the BCS was, you know, stamped as, you know, the haves and the have-nots. That was a big change. And uh, we all have seen the ripple effect that uh, that it had on schools like East Carolina, Southern Mississippi, you know, back in the day in the 1990s, those kinds of schools could go onto the football field with really anybody in the country and have a pretty good chance. And so that recruiting dynamic really mattered. And then just uh, as we can see now, in the last two years, this NIL thing, that even has deepened, you know, the division. Uh, because when I've kept up with it, and I still talk with some coaches that are coaching at the collegiate level, and for instance, uh, you know, if you're just on the roster at the University of Texas, you're looking at fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year just to be on the roster. And well, obviously, you know, East Carolina, Cincinnati, Southern Miss, those schools, they can't do that. They don't have those resources that Texas and you know the what really what amounts to the you know I call it the Big Fifteen, Big Twenty which if I said the names, you'd you know, it's Michigan, Ohio State, it's, uh, you know, those schools. And they're operating and doing things now at a level that has just deepened the chasm. And I find it personally sad because it, it, uh, it made, you know, college football has always been one of the most uneven playing fields on the planet. And those two sea changes that I just mentioned, the BCS and the NIL, have really deepened uh, the chasm. And I find it sad, to be honest with you. But 
you know, I constantly, and when I was doing my radio show, I constantly referred to basketball, college basketball, and college baseball. Uh, it wasn't more than five or six years ago, the College of Charleston won the collegiate NCAA Division I World Series in baseball. And there's something about that that's very healthy. And, uh, you know, a lot of people disagree with me on that. But anyway, that's my take. You know, that what we were doing and what I did for 30-something years at the collegiate level, we built programs. When I was at the University of Tulsa, uh, East Carolina uh, in particular, at the University of Colorado, we were building a program, and by that what I mean is we would sign 25 young men, bring them in, put them in the weight room. Their redshirt freshman year, when they were eligible, we would have them on kickoff teams and punt teams. Their redshirt sophomore years, they would begin to play. In their junior and senior years, they would be the, the starting 22. That was program building, and that was what we did in the 90s at East Carolina. And it was a sustainable um, idea. And now, with uh, what I'm seeing, and I'm talking, again, to college coaches that uh, are friends of mine that are still in the business, it's really nothing more than, rather than building a program, all you're doing now is roster management, which is, hey, for instance, and I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, I think East Carolina had a really good center this year on the offensive line. And he played well, and East Carolina was in the process of developing this young man and obviously discovered this young man. And the moment the season was over, hey, he's gone to Auburn. And so the idea of program building is getting kicked in the teeth. So what do you do? you got to manage your roster and go find another center pretty quick. And so um, I'm glad I missed that, to be honest with you. You know, I, I enjoyed building the programs. I enjoyed bringing young men in and watching them, uh, you know, there were two addicts to it. I was betting on them becoming something better than everybody thought they could. Okay, it was kind of guerrilla warfare recruiting. I would, I didn't go head-to-head with Clemson on a football player. There was no need to do that. The young man would go to Clemson 90% of the time. But I could go find a young man in Winston-Salem that was six foot four. 210 pounds and played some high school football and played high school basketball. You could tell he was an athlete and bring the young man in, put him in the weight room and see what he would blossom into. Would he become a tight end? Would he become a defensive lineman, an offensive lineman? Uh, and I refer, you know, we ha- I did exactly that with a young man from Winston-Salem named Lamont Burns. And Lamont came to us as exactly what I described, 6'4", 210 pounds. You bring them to the weight room, you put them on a you know, high-nutrition diet, and the young man went and played three years for the New York Jets, that offensive guard. That was a dynamite football player for East Carolina. But, you know, I just kind of lament those days and, and what it means to all the schools, except for, like I say, the Big 15, the Big 20. And I could go on and on and on and pontificate about this idea for Hours and hours and hours, and uh, but it, it doesn't matter. That that's where the game has gone, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to put some sort of restrictions on this thing. Uh, and if they don't, 
it may just be Alabama Clemson in the national championship game for the rest of your life. I don't, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see though. No doubt, it, it's, it's changed so much, and I agree with you probably for the worst. But it seems the the cat's already out of the bag at this point. Well, coach, let's go back to, to some of your uh, glory years, of course, with East Carolina. I want to play. What I'm sure you, you've heard this sound bite plenty of times with, uh, you know, I believe this was the 1996 season. You guys uh, were coming off the loss against West Virginia where you went for two and then beat South Carolina the next week. And it's still played heavily around these parts of this day. So, uh, Clark, let's hit this sound bite, and then I want to get your, your take on it, Coach Logan. And wins are just so hard to come by, and they're precious. But I'm going to tell you something, and you can write this down in big, bold letters. We won this game tonight on the last play of the game last week. And you write that down. Because when you're at East Carolina, you go for it every time. Or you don't coach at East Carolina. You don't come to East Carolina. You don't play at East Carolina with a weak heart. Write it. Well, Coach, I think that still applies heavily to this day. Uh, do you think? Did you ever think that it would become maybe as, as played as much as it is to these days? And when you when you hear that back, what kind of goes through your mind? Well, it was accurate. That's what goes through my mind. It was an accurate uh, statement about the way that we had to go about doing things uh, to lift that program to what I wanted, which I, what I wanted was national respectability. And it would have been nice to win every football game, but that really wasn't my idea. My idea was to be a program to where when we rolled into town, everybody sat up and said, you better put your pads on, you better buckle up, because these guys are going to come and play, and they're going to come play to the last play of the game, and the coaching staff is going to play very aggressive, uh, we're never going to shy away. We're not afraid of losing, and we're certainly not afraid of winning either. And so, you know, to, we developed that attitude, and, and uh, you know, that particular year you're referencing, I think you can look this up for accuracy, but I think we went on the road that year and beat South Carolina, um, Miami, and... North Carolina State, and there are a couple more in there, I think, but they were all on the road. And I think that football team ended up 8-3. and three. But uh, the point is, is that, you know, all of our players and all of the coaches in our program knew that that's what I was going to do in any given football game. Uh, fourth and short, there's a good chance we're going to go for it or fake the punt or fake the field goal. Or again, it's guerrilla warfare type coaching that was necessary because, quite honestly, we were at a talent deficiency in in those kinds of games. Uh, go back and look at the 1996 Miami roster that we beat that year down in the Orange Bowl, 31 to six. It's first-round draft pick after first-round draft pick after first-round draft pick on the Miami roster that year. But our mindset and, and the, again, the development of the program, we went into that football game thinking, not, not thinking, but really believing that we could go win that football game. And we did. And it wasn't a fluke. It was, we, we out-physicaled them. 
We hit them harder than they'd ever been hit before in any given game that season. And uh, we were we were a better program that night. We were a better football team that night. And so, you know, that little sound bite you played uh, kind of encapsulated what we were doing during that moment of time in in the 90s. We're visiting with Steve Logan, ECU Hall of Fame coach, inducted in 2013. And Coach Logan, you had a ton of success, obviously, in the 90s. And, you know, I was very young at the time, but I was talking with uh, the, the, Hank, the Hank Hinton and, and the Hintons, and they were saying there was a time at least a, a few schools came and knocking at your door uh, trying to, to poach you from ECU. And you chose to stay with the Pirates. I believe Maryland may have been one of those at that time. What, you know, take us through what, what allowed you to make the decision to stay at ECU uh, during the 90s when I'm sure you were a coveted name in college football? Well, I mean, quite bluntly and quite honestly, you know, it's okay to talk about those things now. But uh, I very easily, uh, absolutely positively could have been the head coach at Texas Tech, Maryland, Baylor, and Boston College uh, during that time, easily. And um, chose not to really... Um, Financially, it was not <laughs> the smartest idea, but for my family, uh, as I mentioned, my two boys um, came to Greenville, I think, maybe as first or second graders, and miraculously, through a lot of hard work and luck, uh, you know, we stayed and both of my uh, boys graduated from Rose High School, went through one school system and Again, they were caught up into the baseball machine, which I was, you know, I'm a huge baseball guy. I played it as a young man, and uh, I played football, baseball, basketball, and track like everybody back in Oklahoma. You did everything back in the day. But, uh, you know, baseball was uh, an equal love to mine of football. But my two boys were really good baseball players. My youngest ended up, uh, had a four-year career down at Campbell. And uh, I just didn't want to tear them out of that at the time because those opportunities that I mentioned came about when they were, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 during those really critical years. And so it was a family decision on my part. And for the most part, uh, and for a long period of time, I had uh, uh, an anchor point in Dr. Richard Aiken, who was the uh, chancellor at the time. And he was a rock solid uh, supporter of athletics and, and of me in particular. And, and I, I thought the world of him and through all of his actions and dealings with me, I was always very confident that he had my back. And uh, as we all know, that changed in uh, early 2000 and all that, which isn't, you know, doesn't, don't need to go over that. But, uh, but those were the, the family and the backing of uh, Richard Aiken were critical uh, during that time, and it allowed me to just continue on. And, and I, as I told Dr. Aiken one day, I, I enjoy the David and Goliath theater that we were in. You know, a lot of guys uh, run from those and use it as a stepping stone, and that's okay, too. Everybody has their own idea. But I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed uh, beating Miami and beating West Virginia and beating South Carolina and, you know, Syracuse and people that, you know, well, hey, how that shouldn't happen. Well, it did, and it happened 
<laughs> kind of regularly. And it was enjoyable. It was gratifying to, again, build a program where people said you shouldn't be able to do it, but we did it. Coach, when you look at the, the quarterbacks you guys had with, obviously, when your, your time as an OC developing Jeff Blake and uh, to Marcus Crandall, David Garrard, and there were others as well, but those three specifically to have the college careers they had under your watch and then the pro careers, how often do you stay in touch with those guys to this day? And, and when you look back at those three guys and along with many other players, just what, what are the fond memories you have of, of those guys? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I was the quarterback coach and the play caller and the offensive coordinator as well as the head coach all those years. I mean, uh, Doug Martin had the title of offensive coordinator and he did a lot of the play calling and then was and still is, uh, one of my very closest friends. And, uh, but I mean, I was heavily involved with the quarterbacks, what I'm trying to say. And, but yeah, I talked to those guys kind of regularly. And, uh, certainly if I called them, they'd pick the phone up immediately and I would, and I do the same when they call me. And, uh, those are special relationships. And, you know, the quarterback thing, um, I happened to be the offense coordinator at the University of Tulsa when I was, I don't know, 27, 28 years old is ridiculous. But, uh, we had a, a really good quarterback the two years I was the offense coordinator there. And I had, you know, I might have been ahead of the curve from the standpoint of, realizing uh, the Bill Walsh statement says you either have a quarterback or a plan to get one because without a quarterback, you are not going to win football games, period. And during the years at East Carolina that people can identify with since we're talking about that, but, you know, we, we always had a quarterback, and I made sure we had a quarterback. And I would go out each year and recruit two and sometimes three per class just to make sure that, you know, hopefully one of those three would develop into something. You know, I had a real good idea that Mark Crandall would become special. I had a real good idea David Gerard would become special. Jeff Blake was already there. And uh, and I'll just tell you this flat out. There was a lot of talk about moving Jeff, Jeff Blake to safety. And... You know, about the time there was some internal changes on the coaching staff where suddenly I became the offensive coordinator and I put a thousand mile an hour stop to that. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But, you know, the quarterback thing, um, I went to NFL Europe when I left East Carolina and two of my quarterbacks in NFL Europe became NFL Europe players of the year. And, uh, the third one was Timmy Chang. Out of Hawaii, I had Timmy over there. He was with Philadelphia Eagles. This is when the NFL was running NFL Europe. And, I, you know, you were coaching the second team NFL football players over there. It was a dynamite, great, great uh, job, one of the best jobs I ever had. But um, the point I'm making is is that, you know, you got to have a quarterback, but you also have to have a good system to put them in. Uh, I walked into Matt Ryan at Boston College. And the rest is history there. So, you know, it's important that you have a good player. And you cannot make a bad player a good player. But you can take a really good player and then put him in a good system. And it accentuates all of their talents. And it hides whatever deficiencies they may have. And the system that we had down through the years 
absolutely certainly did that for the quarterback position. Risen with Coach Logan, who went 69-58 during his time at East Carolina. And you kind of touched on a Coach, but, I mean, any coach in any profession, any school, it's hard to go out on maybe your terms. I mean, that's just how it, how it works in the profession, and obviously things happen uh, in 2002 at the conclusion of that season. But do you feel like time has healed wounds? I mean, do you feel like you're – I know Pirate Nation still loves you. Uh, just kind of your take on, you know, still being considered one of the Pirate greats and – you know, do you still get to watch pirate football on Saturdays? And your thoughts on how things have transpired since then? Well, um, you know, when I left, I just left, and there wasn't any. You know, uh, you would. I don't think you can find a soundbite or a quote um, about me leaving there from me. I just went on, and I had a lot of incredible adventures, and I knew that there were some great adventures on the horizon. Um. I was, as we talked about, you know, I chose to stay there. And uh, when the time became, it became evident it was time to leave, it was time to leave. And I had always um, known deep in the back of my mind, in my heart, that I was going to coach some NFL football. And I made that happen. And uh, I'm eternally grateful for those experiences. That was a, that's a whole different set of problems to, um, enter into and to negotiate and uh, I loved loved coaching professional football players loved it uh, much more than the collegiate player uh, from, it, it's just so liberating to walk out on a practice field and know that the young man you're working with has prepared diligently and is going to give you a 101% practice that day because if they don't they lose their job. And so guess what? You're never having to coach effort. You're never having to raise your blood pressure because things are getting super sloppy. They can get a little sloppy, but not for long at the professional level because everybody is held so accountable. And uh, I enjoyed that, and it was liberating. It was also liberating the professional player if they have an off-the-field incident of any kind, you as a coach have zero to do with that. They can call their agent. They can call management, whatever. It doesn't matter. That you, You're not involved, and I really, really embrace that too. And so, uh, like I say, the, the whole thing, it was just time to, to move on and grow, which I did. And uh, like I say, the... Uh, NFL Europe was just the best, best thing. And if, if they had not, if they had not shut down NFL Europe, that's where I'd be today. Um, you know, they, they finally shut that idea down. And that's when I came back to Boston College. And of course, again, Boston College was a tremendous, one of the best jobs ever. Um, you know, Matt Ryan and, and the Boston College, um, just the whole thing about Boston College is such a u- elite, unique group of kids to work with. And uh, Boston is a great place to live. But there, there's nothing about that I didn't embrace and enjoy. And then, you know, you go from there to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and spend three years there, and that was a incredible journey. And you go from there to the San Francisco 49ers, which was always, always, always uh, my dream. And uh, to have that happen was like, 
you know, winning the lottery. And, uh, you know, it, it, but all those things end, you know, coaching. <laughs> I've got a bunch of sayings, but one of them, the young man that was, uh, working for me at, uh, the Birmingham Iron, it was his first foray into pro football. It was, you know, uh, spring football, spring professional football. And I told him, I said, Alex, one thing you got to remember, football ends badly. And he said, you know, coach, of all the sayings you've got, but I hate it when you give me that one. And I said, well, just pay attention and watch. It doesn't matter if you're playing or coaching. Football ends badly 99.9% of the time. And once you recognize that, then you just move on when when it's time to get fired or time to retire or time, you know, it it's just uh, it doesn't matter if you're a player or a coach. You always think you got one more game in you. And uh, a friend of mine said, you know, Steve, you don't retire from the NFL. The NFL retires you. And that's you know that's true of college football. You know, you stay too long at one place, it will retire you eventually. Uh, leadership, management around you changes, and uh, it's just time for a change at the pro level, collegiate level, sometimes even at the high school level. So, you know, all of that was just professional movement to me, and it wasn't personal. It just was. Coach, do you get a chance to watch the Pirates these days? And if so, what do you think what Mike Houston's doing? I know Steve Shankweiler was on staff and uh, you know, for, for several years under Coach Houston. And uh, if you could share any thoughts on the current Pirates who are playing pretty well these days. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, from a, a million miles away, because I'm, I'm just watching it, you know, from time to time on television. And uh, But it sounds like, you know, Coach Houston is – the mindset that East Carolina needs. Um, he's, you know, the times that I've seen him play, there's an identifiable idea on the offensive side of the football. And more importantly, uh, when Coach Houston got there, they are lined up properly and are playing on the defensive side of the football in a manner that gives them a chance, you know, for a long period of time there, uh, four, five, six years, it seemed like it was just a catastrophic, uh, events on the defensive side of the football. And I'm talking about just a handoff going for 80, literally 80 yards, you know, over and over, just, you know, just ridiculous. And, uh, that's been the biggest change is that, uh, you know, both sides of the ball have an identity now. And, uh, you know, you turn the TV on and you can tell that they're coached. You can identify the idea that's trying to be expressed on both sides of the football. And, uh, you know, the other thing when you, uh, people, people have asked me about hiring, how do you hire a football coach? Well, the hiring of Mike Houston, it looks like somebody did the textbook thing. Go find a guy that goes into a place and stays three to four years, and the the record sounds like two and nine, five and six, eight, three, nine, two, and then he moves on. And if you look at Coach Houston's record, I think that's textbook what he did at two, maybe three institutions. So, you know, it gives you a chance. It, when you hire a guy like that, you at least have some history that says 
he has an idea how to resurrect and put some fabric into a program so that you become competitive. And so it just it seems like he's the right guy at the right time. Coach Logan, this has been fun, man. We could talk, I think, for for uh, the the entire program all day. We, we got to get a break in, so we'll let you go. But hey, at some point down the road, maybe we can get you in studio, uh, get you in person, and and keep it for the full hour because I know we could talk football for for a long time. Well, I appreciate the call, and you guys take care. Okay. Absolutely. That is Steve Logan, ECU Hall of Fame coach, coached at ECU from 1992 to 2002. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully we can catch up with him again down the road. All right, on the other side, we'll switch gears, talk some Pirate baseball and what they have to do to get back into the hosting mix, kind of talk about some of the polls that came out today. ECU actually dropped the spots even after going 4-0. Uh, and We'll talk uh, maybe some more football as well and kind of recap our discussion with Coach Logan. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. Awesome conversation with Coach Logan. Went about 30 minutes or so. I think I asked five or six questions. Uh, I just wanted him to get on and speak his mind, and we could I mean, we could do a whole show on just the the transfer portal, what college football is now, and look, I, I'm obviously a lot younger, but I, I grew up watching ECU in the 90s and 2000s, and it, it just seemed like the, the sport was so much more pure back then as far as college athletics, and it is sad to see what it's come to, but unfortunately – it is what it is. Like Coach Coach Logan said, it's just not going to change now. We'll see what happens going forward. We had a few uh, comments on social media, YouTube and Facebook. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get Logan, Coach Logan back on at some point. Hopefully we can convince him to come back to Greenville, join us in studio. But that was a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, Philip Pilgerton back in studio. Less transition. We'll talk one of – Coach Logan's favorite sports, baseball. Maybe if he doesn't want to talk anymore football, we can get him to talk some pirate baseball. There you right? go. He seems like he was always open to talk baseball just by that little 30-minute uh, bit there. Yeah, I know he's a big wine guy, uh, so if he, if he ever makes it in the studio, we'll present him with some wine um, and do, do play, some, play some blues for him. So, But, no, it was great. First time interviewing Coach Logan, and you know, definitely a treat. And, all right, Phil, let's talk some – some baseball here, and we did it a little bit in the opening segment, but for those that are just joining us, ECU again sweeps Memphis to run the record to 38-14. and 14. And we talked a little bit about the Tuesday game against Campbell. But let, let's discuss kind of this week as a whole before we take a quick break here. Um, the need to not only win against Campbell, but also find a way to win against South Florida. You don't really have much time because you have one day off between Sunday and, and Tuesday's game. And then you have to turn around and go to Tampa for a Thursday through Saturday series, which a lot of people forget due to the conference tournament. So you have to juggle the pitching here. The good news is you've got a lot of different arms you can kind of throw for innings at a time, which allows them to be available for multiple games. But it'll be interesting to see how Coach Godwin manages the pitching staff starting Tuesday. It will. And I almost wonder, and I kind of want your input on this, Stephen, do you view this, because I kind of do, as a blessing in disguise that maybe – we have this because it really preps you for the conference tournament as as well as a regional where you will play probably more than you know than your normal three games in three days. Yeah, no, I mean I think so. I think it's a it is almost kind of a build up, and the other factor is USF will be 
kind of pitching for the Copper Sermon as well, so we'll probably approach things a little differently as well. All right, we got to get another break in before the uh, before our final segment, so let's go ahead and do that. We'll come back, wrap up the show. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the program. You listen to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game, Monday, May 15th edition. If you missed the Coach Logan interview, you can check it out shortly in podcast form on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, this will be archived on YouTube and on Facebook. It will also be archived on 943thegame.com. So plenty of places to catch that interview. Uh, great stuff of Coach Logan. Look forward to having him on again in the future. All right, again, Pirate Baseball with a sweep over Memphis. They uh, improved the record to 38-14. and 14. And, Philip, when I, when I look at this this season as a whole, it's kind of interesting to me that th- there's been ups and downs, but ECU has never gone below 16 in the top 25 polls, and yet basically the discussion is ECU is out of the hosting picture. So my question to you is, why? How can ECU be a top 16 team, be that way all year, but not really be considered a, a hosting candidate at this point? That might be a better uh, question for uh, Coach O, <laughs> but uh, I guess it all comes down to, you know, I view the the poll more as a power rankings. It's how you're doing right now, whereas I guess the, you know, whether or not you host is collective for the entire season. And I guess we've just never got quite cold enough to fall out of the top 16, but we just haven't been quite consistent enough to be considered a top 16 program in and through. But it does sound a little weird. It's like, man, like you mentioned, you know, according to D1 Baseball, which is the one that you and I reference the most, we the lowest we've been is 15, or maybe we were 16 once, but we're 15 right now. It's the lowest we've been in a long time. Like you said, um, sounds like we need a little luck in order to host. Yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. I mean, you had Aaron Fitt on the Patrick Johnson show on Friday. He kind of dismissed ECU as a host, but it just feels like to me they should still be in consideration. Obviously, we're biased. I mean, we're the official home yeah. of ECU baseball, so we're going to, uh, you know, hope for that to happen. But we'll see, man. Big, big week for Pirate Baseball. All they can do is keep winning, see what happens from there. Uh, this has been a fun edition of Hoist the Colors. I'd like to thank Philip for uh, providing some commentary in studio. Also to Clark and Cookie for producing, helping out, getting Coach Logan on the show as well. Again, big week ahead. Mike Schwartz will join the show tomorrow. We'll be live in studio. The head men's basketball coach at ECU will join us on Tuesday. And then Wednesday we'll have Kim McNeil, the head women's coach, in studio as well before Hank Hinton on Thursday. And, of course, we'll be talking Pirate Baseball throughout the week. This has been fun. Again, thanks to Coach Logan as well. We'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon with Coach Schwartz. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.